to lose a game by 35 points, there needs to be more than one factor at play. Rodgers playing like a pumpkin yesterday is essentially equivalent to the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. I think it's clear today. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I've turned into such an old man. Maybe, maybe that's not the best way to put it. I've turned so crabby regarding Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know when, when did this happen to me? I don't know when I became this guy. Because after the NFC Championship game in February, late January, whenever that was, the game against the Buccaneers, like I was ready to square up. I was ready to throw hands over anyone that was looking to blame Aaron Rodgers and drag him down after that game because he played pretty well. Played very well. Much better than Tom Brady, who was throwing interceptions all over the field. And I don't know when, from that moment to now, I became really intolerant of just about everything Aaron Rodgers does. It has nothing to do with the man bun. It just has to do with him. Just gesturing broadly with my arms. Just him in general. I tried to watch his press conference this afternoon. I thought, oh, great. I'll watch this, and then I'll have this in my head, and we can go into the show, and I'll be able to reference it. And, oh, Rodgers said this, and he did this. I watched about 45 seconds, and then he was asked about Jamal Williams, and he said, I have so much love and affection for Jamal. Such a magnanimous personality. I'm out. That's it. I can't I can't do this. I don't. Nope. Can't do it. I don't know what else they talked about. I don't know what else they asked him. I don't know what Roger said. Don't know. Don't care. That was, I have so much love and affection for Jamal. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm over it. It's week one. How are, how are you? How are you doing? That's how my life is going. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Do a lot of Packers tonight. Maybe we'll hear from Aaron Rodgers. Maybe. I'm not sure. Mike Clements is going to join us at 5.30. I'm assuming we'll hear a little bit from Rodgers, probably a little bit from Adams, maybe a little bit from Lafleur. Mike Clemens, he gives us a sample platter. You know, you go to your favorite restaurant. You're like, oh, which app should we get? I'm not sure. Why don't we get the sampler platter? We can get a little bit of everything. That's what Mike Clemens provides to this program when he joins. Eh, a little bit of Jay Sternberger. A little bit of assistant defensive coordinator. This guy. Boom. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers. Dash of Aaron Jones. Boom, boom, boom. Sampler platter, right? little taste of everything for $11.99. It's a great value if you want to try everything. That's what Mike will give us. I'm assuming there will be some Aaron Rodgers in the mix. Hopefully not too much. I don't need to hear about his love and affection for anyone, and I don't need to hear him talk like a thesaurus. I'm not interested in that. And by the way, I looked up what magnanimous means, and it doesn't even really make sense in the context in which he used it, but that's not what we're doing. Audio and storytelling after week one, after Monday's or Sunday's loss to the Saints. That will be Mike Clements at 530. He'll join us then. 430, I want to get into the Brewers. Kind of a random sampler platter of things to cover with the Brewers, too. I have one piece of audio I want to share with you. A story that I found about Bob Euchre and the Brewers. And then two articles that I want to recommend you read. Similar to what Aaron Rodgers is doing on the McAfee Show. The book club thing. I, book club, kind of, at 4.30. Two pieces that I read today. Both were excellent. One I tweeted out at Wisco Grant. If you want to get a sneak peek and get a head start. As long as you don't turn my show off while you're reading it. My Twitter, at Wisco Grant, the talking text line, 608-796-2558. Thomas, checking in. Hello, Thomas. I'm going to talk about the NFC North, and this is an idea that I, I brought up yesterday. I want to start with an idea that I think came up 
when did I mention it yesterday? I don't know. It was at some point between 4 and 6 p.m. And I only mentioned it for all of three or four seconds. And I think too often when we're talking sports, whether it be with friends or in a more official setting like this, I don't know that this is official. I mean, we're not sitting at a bar. We're over the radio and we're talking on the phones and we're going back and forth and maybe it's more structured. But anytime we talk sports with friends or with coworkers or with anybody, I think sometimes we allow ourselves to make statements and just move past them and not elaborate. And part of talking sports is just BSing, right? It's not always scientific. But if you listen to discourse related to sports, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, whatever, I think a lot of times when we're arguing or we're trying to make a point, we just make these statements and we don't elaborate and we just graze by them and we, we never provide evidence. We never, we just kind of talk out our butts, right? I think this week, something that I've really noticed, it's really common for Packers fans to say, oh, the, the offensive line was garbage on Sunday. As if it's fact. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it was. Hell yeah. Got to get it together, that offensive line. Oh, I told you. I, I never liked this Royce Newman guy. Start a rookie, a guard. Oh, come on. Are they high? Oh, they were, they were bad. Oh, so bad on Sunday. And we've just accepted that as if it's fact. Are you sure about, you sure about that? Did they suck? Tell, tell me more. What do you mean? Because it's a little bit more complicated than that. Rogers said himself on McAfee's show on Tuesday, the offensive line played really well. And the numbers would back it up, especially in pass protection. They were the second best rated offensive line in the NFL per week one per pro football focus. Now, the running grades weren't as good, but they didn't really have a running game to speak of because they were trailing by so much. And I think Aaron Rodgers audibled a lot of run looks off to the side as well. The pass protection, there were plenty of attempts. They were throwing the whole game, playing catch up. Second best graded unit in the NFL in pass protection per pro football focus on Sunday. So was the offensive line garbage? Were they awful? No. In fact, they were pretty good. Rodgers said home himself, the numbers would back it up. Yet, that idea persists. Something I've heard a dozen times this week. And I wasn't really sure if that was true or not until I looked into it a little bit yesterday and then more today because I knew it's something I wanted to reference when we started the show. We say things all the time. We're like, yeah, the offensive line sucks. And then we move along. And we never talk about it anymore. And there was something I said on yesterday's show that I want to talk about more. I want to dig a little deeper into. I said on yesterday's show that I think the NFC North might be the worst division in football this year. And I'm just dipping my toe into this pool. Not really sure how I feel about that. I think it could be the case. Maybe not. Does that take do anything for anyone? Does that offend you? Are you like, oh, God, the NFC North isn't that bad. That's ridiculous. Like, does anyone... Having a reaction to this, the NFC North, worst division in football. Does anyone find that totally preposterous? No? I I don't think so. I think it's a reasonable take. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the teams that the Packers are going to have to overcome and outlast in order to make the postseason and eventually try to get back to the NFC title game again. Drink. Or maybe even get past the NFC championship to the Super Bowl. Drink. As if we haven't been saying those things for a decade. Let's look at the NFC North and the playoff odds for the NFC North, the odds to win the NFC North. So I looked at Pinnacle today. These are the odds from Pinnacle of who is first, second, third, fourth in the chance to win the NFC North this year. The Packers are the going away favorites, minus 170. Then the Vikings are next, plus 275. The Bears are just over plus 600, and the Lions are about plus 1,600. They're plus 1,584 right now. And if you use simple logic about talent, and organizational structure, it's pretty easy to see why these teams fell in the order that they did. 
quarterback is, of course, important. Rodgers is the best. Cousins is probably the second best. Some combination of Andy Dalton and Justin Fields might be third best, and Jared Goff is probably fourth. Maybe it's as simple as quarterbacks, but I like to think about it in a different way. Let's think about roster and identity, both. The Packers are a really good team, and they know who they are. They know what they're doing. Check both boxes. The Vikings are a decent team, but they don't really know who they are. I don't think the Vikings can decide whether they're rebuilding or whether they're going for it or whether they're a running team or a passing team. I I think there are questions about the trajectory of the Vikings. Now, their roster is decent, but I don't know if they have everyone pulling in the same direction. The Bears are an average roster, and they don't know who they are. They're not as talented as Minnesota. They're not as talented as Green Bay. And also, they don't really know what's going on. I think Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are in career preservation mode. Like, all right, well, we can sell everyone on hope. We'll say, oh, we'll work fields in slowly. Whether he's ready or not, whether he's the best option or not, we're going to play for next year and say, hey, we got all this experience. We are the the team that we looked after him. Look, we protected him. Keep us around. And that isn't really conducive to winning this year. Maybe it's the best plan in the long term. Maybe. I think it's the best plan for Nagy and Pace, which is why they're doing it. But it's not conducive to winning this year. So the Bears, average roster, don't know who they are. And the Lions know who they are. They're rebuilding, but they aren't any good. So the Packers check both boxes. The Vikings check one box in talent, but they don't really know what they're doing organizationally. The Bears are okay, and they don't know what they're doing organizationally. And the Lions have a clear path right now, but they suck. Using that logic, the order of the division and the odds in which this division lines up makes perfect sense to me, especially if you factor in the quarterbacks. It might just be as simple as that. Even if the Packers lost 38-3 to in Week 1, no other team in the division looked good. The entire division is 0-1. Every team is tied for both first and last place. These odds make perfect sense to me. Now, using that as a reference, the 1, 2, 3, 4 order of the NFC North, I want to match those four teams up in order with the other divisions in the NFC. Let's look at the NFC South. Now, the NFC South right now, the odds go Buccaneers minus 240, Saints plus 280, Panthers plus about 1,000, and the Falcons plus about 2,000. Let's match that up directly with the NFC North. I think the Buccaneers are better than the Packers. We've seen that play out. I think the Saints are better than the Vikings. The Panthers might be about the same stratosphere as the Bears. Maybe a little worse, maybe a little better. Now versus the end of the year, things could change. I'd say they're pretty similar right now. Panthers look pretty good last week. And then the Falcons are way better than Detroit. So in three of the four spots in the NFC South, clearly better than the NFC North. You can argue about Panthers-Bears, but still, the NFC South is a better division than the NFC North. If you look at the East, this is a tricky one. I think the Packers are better than the Cowboys, who are plus 144 to win that division. The Eagles are second at plus 238. Maybe they're pretty similar to the Vikings. Jalen Hurts is the opposite of everything Kirk Cousins is. He's the motivator. He's the guy everybody buys into and everybody likes. Meanwhile, Everson Griffin is tweeting how Kirk Cousins is ass. Right? So maybe the Eagles, maybe the Vikings. It's close. Washington football team, I think, is pretty similar to Chicago with Andy Dalton. I think they're close-ish. And I think the Giants at plus 605, who are fourth in the division with with the worst odds, I think are better than Detroit. The NFC East might be close, but I think when all is said and done, depending on what happens with the Vikings and the Bears, could be better than the NFC North. Individually, they match up pretty well. They're pretty even. But I don't think the gap between first and last is as large as the NFC North. I think the gap between the Packers and the Lions is huge. I don't think the gap between the Cowboys and the Giants is that large. Which is another way of saying, I don't think any team in the NFC East is garbage. I think the bottom of the NFC North is garbage. 
which makes it an easier division to win if you get to play that bottom team, that garbage team, twice. The NFC West all around is better any way you spin it. By the end of the year, 49ers, Seahawks, Rams, Cardinals, any one of these teams might turn out to be the second best team in the division. And if we really get nuts, maybe they all turn out to be better than the Packers. Who knows? Packers just lost by 35, so I'm not willing to stick my neck out here, too. 49ers are currently favored to win the division, which I don't agree with. I think Seattle's being really undervalued, but I'd bet on the Niners to beat the Packers right now. I'd certainly bet on the Seahawks to beat the Vikings, the Rams to beat the Bears, and the Cardinals to smoke Detroit. Neutral field, home away, doesn't matter. I think the argument is very makeable that the NFC North is by far and away the worst division in the NFC. Now, I don't really need to do the AFC thing too. I don't know that we need to spend any more time on this than four or five minutes, which is what we just did. I don't know if that would be productive. There's so much conjecture as it is through week one anyways. Are the week, the Eagles really as good as we think? Are they even competent? Are the Cardinals really that what we saw, right? And the Saints, Jameis Winston, are the Saints really what we saw in week one? Or was that more of a, is it an aberration, a vision? Is that more of a mirage? And what are the Bears going to do at quarterback? There's a chance they get to week five or six, they start Justin Fields and look like a completely different team. I don't want to spend more than five or six minutes looking at odds and division leaders. It's been one week. I do this exercise to show you this. I say all that to say this. The NFC North is probably the most winnable division in football. Certainly, without debate, one of the most winnable divisions in football. You talk about the NFC East, maybe the AFC South with the Jags, the Colts, the Titans, the Texans. I don't think the Titans are that good. Maybe you could argue that division is more winnable. But the NFC North is, I think, the most winnable division in the NFC and one of the most winnable divisions in football. This Packers roster isn't perfect. That's just not the reality with any quarterback that's getting paid anything above a rookie-level deal. But it's really competitive. And this could be the Packers last year with Devontae Adams. And you got to pay Jair moving forward. You're going to have to pay MVS if you want to keep him around. If you don't keep him around, you're going to have a big talent drain at wide receiver, especially if you lose Adams too. I say all that to say this. Aaron Rodgers, dressing gear. Now, as in week one and a half before the Lions, score 40 on Monday night. And take control of your destiny in a little bit. Please, God, I know that he's not 100% happy with the Packers. Oh, we don't see eye to eye. Oh, I wish they would do this and hear my opinion. I don't really even disagree. The Packers could have avoided a lot of this. Even drafting Jordan Love, they still could have done everything else better and we wouldn't be in this situation. But I got to say, Aaron Rodgers kind of has this on a platter for him right now. Just beat the Vikings, the Bears, and the Lions. Win a good percentage of your other games. You're going to be in the postseason, and you might be able to play your way into another game at Lambeau Field. And if the cards break right, and if everything goes well, not saying you could be the number one seed, but it's certainly in the works. Is Aaron Rodgers' world perfect? Okay, no. They let Jay Kumaro go a couple of years ago. That's too bad. But take control of your own destiny a little bit. And your destiny is easily controllable. Things have lined up this year for Aaron Rodgers to have another crack at it. 100%. This team's really, really good. Division is really, really winnable, and I think the NFC is a little watered down. Now, the NFC West is a tough nut to crack. There are probably going to be a couple of teams that come out of that division, but Aaron Rodgers and the Packers don't play in that division. Now, do they? Okay? I lay all that out to say this. Aaron Rodgers, figure it out. I know you had a fun summer. I like the long hair. Whatever. You kind of annoy me in press conferences, but whatever. If we're talking football here... This year is a golden opportunity for you to go out on a very high note and then start the next chapter of your career as the Packers have made it possible for you to do so. So please, get it together. Figure it out. Don't squander this opportunity. 
And if you do, I, Packers fans are, uh, I think, going to be coming over to my side and just being very just generally annoyed with everything that you do and say and wear and the smile on your face and the way you play the game. Just please, dress together. This is laid out for you very, very well. Let's hear from Devontae Adams. Uh, normally, we don't play a whole lot of press conferences, but I have a couple of cuts from Adams, and I'll explain why I'm so intrigued in this interview and some things he had to say. That's coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant. Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Thanks for hanging out. Going to talk Brewers in about 10 minutes or whenever we get there, I guess. Brewers coming up next. How's that? Mike Clemens up in an hour to give us a, uh, a sampler platter. We'll hear from a couple of players, I would imagine, a couple of coaches. Devontae Adams' presser today was very interesting. We're going to hear from Devontae Adams, who joined NFL Network yesterday. That's coming up in a few minutes. You're welcome to give me a text, 608-796-2558. It's the talking text line. Yesterday's show, by the way, wrapped up with Eric on I-90 dropping a curse word on the air. So <laughs> let's avoid that today. Stay away from that. Twitter at Wisco Grant. Big Joe. Wow, listening on the deck, you look like you're having a time. Miller High Life. Mm, unquestionably good. An excellent beer. It's no PBR, but then again, what is? Thanks for the tweet, Big Joe. I hope you're doing well. We heard a little bit from Rogers after the game. I tried to watch his presser earlier today. I couldn't really bear it. He used the words love, affection, and magnanimous all in the same sentence. And that was it for me. We listened to a bit of him from McAfee's show on Tuesday. That's good enough. I I feel like Rodgers has kind of worn me out a little bit. I said that to start the show. Do we buy the whole nut shot thing? Do we believe that he threw that interception because he got hit in the the junk, in the pair, in in the, in the, 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 the thing? Do we, do we buy that? Do we actually think that that's what happened? I don't know. I think it's odd that he waited until Tuesday to drop that when he was with his boys, AJ Hawk and Pat McAfee. I don't know. Maybe he did get kicked in the groin. Sometimes, hey, men, here's a message for the men, okay? Sometimes, sometimes you get kicked in the nuts, literally or figuratively. It's up to us as men to push through. We can't let that stop us. We can't let that allow us to throw red zone interceptions. Rise above. Fight through adversity. That's what Tom Brady would have done. I hate who I'm becoming. Oh, my God. This might make me sound like an old man, but I didn't want to hear from Aaron Rodgers today. I wanted to hear from Devontae Adams because I, I wanted to hear someone who's a little bit more focused and intense. And don't tell me that Aaron Rodgers is California cool. It's not California cool. There's a lot of different personalities that come from California. It's just acting like, I, I don't know. Do you watch Community? If not, you should. It's an excellent sitcom. Stan Harmon before Rick and Morty. It's excellent. And there's an episode where Joe McHale and Donald Glover, where Troy and Jeff find this random trampoline that's secluded in the middle of campus. No one knows it's there. And it, like, changes their life. Like, they, they, they spend the rest of the episode walking on a cloud, talking about relaxation, and, hey, let's calm down. Why are we stressing? Why are we, why are we upset? Right? I feel so at peace. It feels like Aaron Rodgers found the trampoline in that episode of Community. It might be the best episode ever, actually. It's one of my favorites. Maybe not the paintball episode, but it's close. That's what Aaron Rodgers is. It's like he discovered drugs, and he's just high all the time. I don't know what it is. I want to slap him. Hey! Hey! I want to go to a Super Bowl, okay? This is about me now. 
All right, we've done this thing for 10 years where we have injured collarbones and, oh, the onside kick. That's funny. Ha, ha, ha. What are the odds? Oh, and then, oh, we kick a field goal in the NFC Championship game this last year. Oh, that's nice. Oh, what a great coaching, a good learning experience from Matt LaFleur. I'm done, okay? I want to go to a Super Bowl. And it's lined up this year. You got another year with a terrible division because Mike Zimmer thinks it's 1996. And Matt Nagy won't play the good quarterback on his team because he's trying not to get fired. And the Lions just decided to get rid of all their good players. And the rest of their good players are all hurt. All right? So can we figure it out and just have an ounce, a shred of urgency, intensity? Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. You know who has some intensity? Devontae Adams. He's a man. He always seems so upset. In fact, I think I would be scared to interview him because it looks like when he talks to the media, he's staring into the very souls of the reporters that ask him questions. So let's hear from Devontae Adams, why don't we? He talked about what went wrong on Sunday. This is courtesy of NFL Network. I think it was just, it was a combination of a few things, man. It was it was a slow start by us on offense. Um, you know, just really all three phases we didn't, we weren't taking care of business, um, not making smart decisions. Um, anytime you turn the ball over a couple times, you're going to send in your chances of beating a team that's a really good team. You're making uh, making it really tough. You're spotting points um, by putting them in advantageous, uh, you know, different opportunities. So it just got weird, man. It was a weird game. We had like 12 plays in the first half. You know, our defense wasn't getting off the field and, you know, not just wasn't our best display. We came out really flat, and I think that uh, it'll be a really good wake-up call for us. That was a nice summary. He, he hit on a lot of different details. You know, the offense wasn't good, and then the defense also wasn't good, and then the game was weird. It flew by really quickly. I, I vibe with everything Devontae Adams had to say there. I want to reference the energy thing. Aaron Rodgers said he was reading the press clippings. And to be fair to Aaron Rodgers, I believe Pete Doherty directly asked him if guys were getting too high and mighty. It's not like Rodgers brought it up out of nowhere. He was prompted, and I think that's worth mentioning. But let's say this game doesn't start 10-0, Let's say that it starts 10-7 or 17-14, and then the Saints pull away in the second half. Are we saying the same thing? Are we talking about press clippings? Or is that just convenient because you got blown off the ball from the first play of the game rather than in the third quarter. It's almost like it's better to get blown out by 30 than it is to lose by 14 because then the excuses are so simple. Oh, we didn't have energy. We were. Why? Well, I went into my Coach Bud voice there. No, NBA champion Coach Bud. We mock him no more. We don't mock the Bucks anymore. It's almost like if you get blown out by 30, it's like, wow, well, we never had a chance from the jump. See, we were feeling ourselves in the locker room and reading the, reading the old press clippings, the bulletin board material. You know, we, <laughs> yeah, this is good. Then knock us down a peg. This is good. It's like, well, what if the game was 10-7 or 17-14? Are we still using that excuse? Right? I, that's been the thing from the jump. When this first started after the Chargers game two years ago, it's like, oh, we had a bad week of practice. Did you? Or is that just something conveniently you can bring up now like, after a win, are you going to get up there and say, well, I, it's good to see that we showed up because we didn't have a great week of practice. Like, no one ever, you know, we, we don't, it doesn't cut both ways. Something I wanted to point out. Two more things that Devontae Adams had to say. He tweeted after the game, time to flush and respond. What does that mean? It's like me after a $13 bill at Taco Bell. <laughs> flush and respond. Devontae Adams. It's more so just letting the, the fans and the rest of the world know um, the mentality of this football team at this point. Obviously, we didn't start off the way we wanted at all, but um, just letting them know, look, we're going to acknowledge it by just saying it's time to flush it and respond. I mean, there's not much else we can do. We can't go back and fix the way that uh, that game went, change the outcome. So at this point, we just want to kind of acknowledge what happened, you know, uh, make a few corrections and then go out and have a great Monday night game now. Mike Clemens tweeted this 14 minutes ago, and maybe he'll bring this up at 5.30. Stacey Dales asked Devontae Adams 
what's really been the reaction within the four walls of the Packers' house after losing by 35? Adams says, usually after a blowout loss, guys are on the bus with headphones on, checked out. Sunday, they were already talking about what's next. Okay, that's good. And maybe that's what Adams is hinting out with this tweet. Also, it's just a tweet. It's We're not supposed to break these things down like they're the most important official things in the world. They are just tweets. Lastly, the Rodgers drama, the lack of a Devontae Adams contract extension. Media asks Devontae Adams on NFL Network, how do you keep those things separate from the actual football? Um, it's not really. Honestly, I think um, when you have the focus like what we do, um, there's, a, there's a time and a place for, for everything. So obviously the offseason was a great opportunity for us to all figure out our contract situations and um, you know potentially get locked up for, for the long term. But um, we weren't able to, to do that, unfortunately, as far as taking advantage of that that big block of time. You know, So now it's just time to play football. And I think uh, myself, Aaron, the rest of the team, we all got that same mentality right now where um, we, we're just pretty much putting the team first. And once again, we had plenty of time to figure out some of the things that had to do directly with us. But, you know, now we, we got to go out there and try to win a Super Bowl. Been a four NFC championship game. So uh, my main focus is definitely, uh, you know, host, hoisting up that trophy this year. I'm glad that their main focus is on football. I really would have hated to see the result on Sunday if their focus wasn't on football. God only knows how bad it would have been. What, 70 to nothing? Now I'm being difficult. Let's talk about the Brewers. I have two articles that I read today. They were outstanding, and I want to talk about those a little bit. Maybe we'll hear from Council a little bit, Brandon Woodruff a little bit, if we have time before 5 o'clock. I'd love to hear from you and your Brewers takes as well, because I'm running out of takes. They're good. That's been the take for weeks. I'm running out of original material here, so I'll, I'll... I'll put the ball on the tee. We can talk about some of these points that I read today, but if you want to chip in and and add anything, you're welcome to as well. 608-796-2558. Back in five minutes, the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports show. Should I start Saquon Barkley in fantasy tonight? I can't decide. I'm not sure that the Giants are any good. I'm not sure that they're really going to score a whole lot. I feel like I got to start him, right? He's one of my top picks. My other options are Kareem Hunt. Mike Davis. It's going against Tampa. I'm a big Mike Davis guy. But I feel like I got to start Saquon, right? He's going to get like six yards tonight. They're not going to make fun of me on the show tomorrow. I will live and die with Saquon in my starting lineup. That's my official statement at this time. Maybe I'll change my mind. Probably three or four times just by the end of the show. My name is Grant Bills. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. The talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Mad Mike texts in and says, Hey, Grant, for your health's sake, I think you need to take things as they come. Because I got a feeling it'll be another decade before you get to the Super Bowl. I truly hope... Not for your mental health. Mike, 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 Mike. My mental health has never been better. Are you kidding me? Where where do you get the impression that I'm not okay? Where do you get, Mike, where do you get the impression that our sports teams and their wins and losses impact my mental health? No, no, no. You got me all wrong. Got me all wrong. Twitter at Wisco. Thank you for the text, man, Mike. Twitter, like I said, at Wisco Grant. Talking text line. You know the number. I don't need to say it again. I want to get into the Brewers. And if you have a comment about the Packers, you got something you want to say, text and tweet. We'll be back into them before too long. Get back into the Packers at 5. Mike Clements at 5.30. But I do want to talk about the Brewers. They didn't play last night. They don't play tonight. So you got to get creative. 
right? This is why they pay me the the medium bucks to come up with fascinating Brewers conversations, even when the Brewers, let's face it, haven't played a meaningful game in weeks, and they have not played since we've last talked. There's just not a lot to say about the Brewers right now other than they're good. There you go. That's the take. That's the that's the tweet, as they say. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is doing this book club thing with Pat McAfee about, uh, this is the book I'm reading. And, you know, I took Marquez Valdez Scantling to the bookstore. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm well-read. I'm, I'm smart. Look at me. Man, man, man bun. Man bun. I, Shailene Woodley. Married Shailene Woodley. And, like, whatever. Do his book club thing. I have two pieces on the Brewers that I read today. And I'm not going to tell you that you should read them. Like, you know those people where they watch a show and it's like their entire life worth is now hanging on whether you watch the show or not. Oh, my God. You haven't seen... Not to, I, I was going to make another Rogers reference, but I won't. Do you ever have a friend who's like, oh, my God. You haven't seen you haven't seen Office Space? What are you What are you doing? Are you kidding me? Today, Just today, I joined the Bill Michaels show with Evo and Ben. I thought they were, I, I thought that they were going to laugh me off the show because I've never seen Rocky start to finish. Sue me. Just because you enjoy something doesn't mean that everyone else needs to watch it. Right? This is, this is the thing with stoners. It's just like, oh, my God, you just haven't. The joke is you just, oh, you don't like smoking dope? You haven't found the right strain. It's like, well, no, actually, I just a lot of people just don't like it, man. Like, freaking people out. Leave leave them alone. You've never seen Star Wars? Oh, my God. It's like, well, yeah, maybe space sci-fi isn't for everybody. We all like our own thing. So if you don't like reading, I'm not going to tell you you need to read these pieces. But if you like the Brewers and you're enjoying the season and you would like to read more about it and soak it in and you like reading about baseball. Okay, well, I found two pieces today that I thoroughly enjoyed, and you might enjoy too. So I'm going to recommend them. Read these things or don't. I literally don't care. I won't think about this again after the show is done. But the first piece is Travis Sachik for The Score, which is not typically something that I read a whole lot from, but I saw it shared enough times on social media where I'm like, I gotta, I gotta check this out. It's called The Brewer Way, How the Milwaukee Brewers Became a World Series Contender. Got Corbin Burns, Willie Adamas, Craig Council on the cover. It's a really good piece. It's long. It talks about a couple of different storylines and specifically a couple of different in-season developments from players who have either been in Milwaukee for years or got here this year and worked hard to adjust or improve one specific thing, the difference between last year and this year, or even in the case of some players, the difference between April and September. Willie Adamas, for example, looks like a completely different player than when he was in Tampa Bay. And they talk about why that is. Andy Haynes, he said, hey, you're doing all the right things. You're, you're working on these adjustments to your swing. You're focusing on your power and your launch angle. This is all good. I love all that. Don't stop that. What if we just, we take your batting stance, you just stand up a little bit straighter. You just stand taller. You're a tall guy. Help you see the ball a little bit more. Help you get an eye on the ball. And then you're not swinging at balls out of the zone. And what do you know? He looks like an MVP candidate shortstop. He's hitting like 290, 295 since he got to Milwaukee. Just a little tweak. And in this piece through the score, a lot of stories like that about different players for the Brewers. One is Corbin Burns. And I wanted to talk about this and give you some of these numbers because a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this team and how it's been in many ways rebuilt since April. You go back and look at lineups from April. It's like, who are these effing guys? Billy McKinney's playing time. Jace Peterson, yes. Daniel Robertson was a big contributor. And yes, there were injuries that played into that. But this team in April, certainly not the team that exists now. 
Corbin Burns has been here since the beginning, and you might think of Corbin Burns like, oh, when he started the season, he was on an absolute tear. He had that unbelievable strikeout-to-walk streak to start the year. He was insane. Well, actually, he's gotten better statistically from now to then. He has a 210 ERA and an opponent batting average of 193 in the second half of the season compared to an ERA of 236 and an opponent batting average of 210 in the first half. And as this piece in Travis Sochik outlines, he's gotten better because he's tweaked and he keeps evolving. He could not have started the season better, and yet he's still looking for ways to improve. On his cutter, this might mean something to you baseball folk. It means nothing to me because I've never pitched, but it's interesting. He spread his fingers farther apart on his cutter as the year went along, which boosted up the velocity a little bit. And now that's up to the movement. It's just made it a better pitch. So he's always striving, even his best pitches, to get just a little bit better. So as hitters see him for the third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, especially divisional opponents like the Reds, getting better, changing his approach and his delivery just so, so slightly as the season goes along, even since the baseball cracked down on the sticky stuff, banned foreign substances, right? He still found ways to get more movement out of his pitches, get a little bit more velocity, And Brett Anderson was interviewed in this piece, too, and he talks about the Brewers' pitching staff and the coaching staff and how they don't try to pigeonhole anybody. He talked about when he was with Arizona. In that organization, all the coaches, all the club officials, all the pitchers came up, and they wanted to throw sinkers like Brandon Webb. Of course, Brandon Webb was so good at it, like, don't even try. You can't be Brandon Webb. Be your own version. And this is the quote from Brett Anderson about the Brewers now. They don't try to pigeonhole guys or change them one way or another. We have sinker guys, four-seam guys, cutter guys. It's working with our strengths and going from there. So the Brewers don't start from a position of saying, hey, we want you to get here. We have this in mind for you. The Brewers start on the other end. They say, okay, you're good at this, this, this. How do we get you even better at those things and turn you into the best pitcher you can be? And Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Adrian Hauser, they're also different. We've talked about those differences, both personality-wise and big-picture-wise, but also pitch-wise. I just can't speak to the pitching as much. I'm not a baseball coach. I'm not a pitcher. But to the big-picture stuff and the personality stuff, I can speak to that. The way that these guys go about pitching and the way they attack hitters, I can see that on my TV. You can see that on your TV. It's nice to get the details behind it. Corbin Burns has improved his cutter by spreading his fingers apart just a little bit, a little more velocity, above-average vertical movement now, or it appears to hitters as vertical movement. It's not, because that's with gravity and that whole spiel. That's physically impossible. So this piece does a really good job talking about Corbin Burns. Also talks about Colton Wong, and this is something I mentioned on Bill Michaels' show today. Ebo and Ben were filling in. I talked to them just after 1 o'clock. We talked about Wong's numbers power-wise, and now he's hitting more home runs this year than he ever has. There's a reason why his slugging percentage, especially with two strikes, it's up nearly 100 points. His overall slugging percentage is also at a career high. Now, he's swinging and missing just a little bit more, but his power gains have been so big, right? Everybody who was interviewed for this piece and as Travis Sochik of The Score writes, right, it's worth it. He's on the cusp, and I'm quoting this article here. I'm not speaking completely in my own words. He's on the cusp of his second three-war season, meaning three wins above replacement, because he's creating power. He's creating home runs. By the metric of weighted runs created plus, he's having the best hitting season of his career, right? And that's because he hasn't shortened up his swing with two strikes. He's been willing to cut it loose a little bit. Yeah, maybe you strike out a little bit more, but when Wong is a part of a lineup like this, who top to bottom, you're always putting together good at bats and hitting. 
Okay, if Colton Wong strikes out once or twice a game, it's not the end of the world because every once in a while, you're also going to smack some home runs. Home runs that he's never really hit at this rate before in his career. Read this piece with the score. It's Travis Sochik. It's really interesting. And there's stories about Adamas. There's stories about Council, not just Burns and Wong, although I found those two to be the most interesting. I also tweeted out a piece today from the New York Times and James Wagner. The title is, Is Craig Council the Best Manager in Baseball? The lead. His Brewers could win 100 games, and his players can't believe he's never won Manager of the Year award. Yeah, them and me both. That, he's doing it at home in Milwaukee, is icing on the cake. Remember when Mike Schilt beat out Craig Council for Manager of the Year because there were more writers and voters that thought Mike Schilt was the the, the second best manager in baseball? He got more second place votes. Remember that? Really good system. Really, that in the Electoral College, just killing it consistently. We got more second place votes, so he's going to win first. That makes sense. Not that the manager of the year argument is the thing. A couple of really interesting quotes in this piece. One quote from Josh Hader that I wanted to share with you, because I think some of you might be in denial about this particular subject. I'll just read you the excerpt. Josh Hader, one of the Brewers' star relievers, said counsel, quote, doesn't try to overmanage. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of Brewers critics would have the opposite approach. Corbin Burns, one of the Brewers' ace starters and leading candidate to claim the NL Cy Young Award, says he appreciates Council's direct and open manner of communication. Brent Suter said Council has great situational awareness and foresight in how to deploy relievers and pinch hitters throughout a game. I mean, we've known on this program about his foresight in how to deploy relievers for the last three years. It's something we've talked about. It's interesting to hear Suter come out and explicitly say it. Pinch hitters as well. I mean, we saw Vogie hit that grand slam. All the credit in the world to Daniel Vogelback, but Craig Council was the one who stuck him out there. Kind of a lackluster pinch hit decision, you might think. I don't remember who else was available on the bench at the time, but it turned out to work big time. Just interesting. A couple of other coaches here. Pat Murphy was quoted, said, quote, I've coached in 40 years in all different settings, and on paper, it looks like I've had a lot of success, he says. But this guy, Craig Council, has taught me so much more about the Major League game and a lot of things. It's supposed to be the other way around, right? Pat Murphy, who used to coach Craig Council at Notre Dame, is learning from Craig Council now this time around. One quote from David Stearns, and then we can take a break. One of the reasons I've enjoyed working with Craig so much is he has the ability to question everything that he does and that we do as an organization. And through active questioning and discussion, he has naturally grown and altered his opinions on certain aspects of how he goes about it. But the general tenets of what he believes and strives to do is to put players in the best position to succeed. That has been a constant since day one. And then immediately I think, oh, 2018 is a great example, which is literally where the article goes next. In 2018, we had a team and and particularly a pitching staff that required very active management pretty much from pitch one, quite literally one fatter in the case of Wade Miley, remember? And Craig understood that and tailored his style to that. The team we have right now is built more around elite starting pitchers. And Craig has been able to tailor his management style to that and continue to put the pieces on a roster in the right spots. Look, I know that I'm obnoxious about Craig Council being the best manager in baseball and being really good at what he does because I'm an entertainer. This is my show. It's a bit. I like bringing it up. It's a topic that works pretty well with me and the way I like to talk about the Brewers. You might not be as high on Craig Council as I am. I, like, I think this stuff is pretty undeniable. And for those of you that like hate Craig Council and want him fired for whatever, I, I don't really... I don't really know why. I cannot fathom that. There are a lot of things I can fathom, like, oh, trade Aaron Rodgers. Okay, well, at least I see where you're coming from. For people who hate Craig Council and want him fired or think they would be better off with anyone else, I can't for the life of me understand where that comes from. 
I, I don't get it at all. It's just a completely different school of thought. And to be honest, this is one of those times where it's like, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but your opinion is wrong. I, I think if you're anti-Craig Council, sure, you can have that opinion. I just think it's a load of crap. And I don't think it makes any sense. Not to tell you that you're wrong, but you're wrong. Sorry. Let's take a break. Get an update from Mike Clemens. Keep talking about the Brewers after this on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. If you watch them snap in, snap out, that's the one thing that I was very impressed with. They went out there and they left it all on the field. They played very, very hard. So why did the Packers offense come out so flat on Sunday? Did Aaron Rodgers hold out in the offseason have an effect? Matt LaFleur. No, I think this this team's focused on now. And unfortunately, sometimes in this league, you, you get humbled. And certainly we got humbled. And like I said, it's, it's about how we respond to that, how we come back to work, how we stay together and get ready to play. Rodgers told the Pat McAfee show some friends reminded him that the Buccaneers lost to the Saints 38-3 to last year and then went on to win the Super Bowl. You know, uh, I got a few, the few text messages that I did get went something like this. Hey, there was a team that lost 38-3 to last year to the Saints that won the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, okay, thanks for that. Well, I don't know what kind of lining that is. You're just like, you know, trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit there. But, uh... <laughs> Best Packers coverage all right 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 calm down calm down on the talk and text line everybody by the way thank you mike clemens we'll talk with him in the flesh at 5 30 coach wench texts in and says the giants were predicted to win 72 games and will end up around 105 kapler is manager of the year yeah probably but as i try to keep reiterating here complete games no hitters, manager of the year. I'm after bigger and better things this year, folks. I, I'm a fan of a contender now. I'm not the fan of the plucky Alicia scene Brewers of 2018 where I'm just looking for every accolade I can find. Nah, World Series or bust. That's what I'm focused on. My problem is with Mike Schilt winning manager of the year in 2019 because Craig Council didn't get enough second place votes. Remains one of the biggest travesties in sports over the last decade that no one talks about. I won't forget. I'll never forget or forgive. Cody says if the Brewers win eight more games, which they probably will, they will break the franchise record for the most regular season wins. Team isn't just good. They're the best Brewer team ever. Hey, Cody, you're preaching to the choir. I said before the year that we're living in the golden age of Brewers baseball. I think this is as good as Brewers baseball has ever been. Now, I think it might be reflected in wins this year. I wasn't around in the 80s, so I can't speak to like quality of baseball. But if we're looking at wins and losses, you're absolutely right. Mitch and Madison, oh, you spoil me. Says if anyone replaced you, their wins above replacement would definitely be negative. I don't, uh, I'm no statistician. I don't, I don't know if that's correct, but I get what you're saying. And man, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mitch in Madison. 608-796-2558. Twitter at Wisco Grant. We were just talking a little bit about two pieces that I read about the Brewers today. Travis Sawchick for the score. Had a really good breakdown of how a lot of individuals on the team Tweaked their approach, how they pitch, how they hit. They tweaked something over the course of the season to become the best version of themselves. Willie Damas just tweaked his batting stance. Stand a little taller. See the ball better. It's paid huge dividends. Colton Wong got a little bit less conservative with two strikes and is hit with a lot better power because of it. Sure, there's an extra strikeout or, you know, here or there, but his slugging percentage never been better. Home run total, he's going to beat that this year. And he's a power threat at the top of the order. Fits this team really well. Corbin Burns actually has a better ERA and opponent batting average in the second half of the year 
compared to the first, which is insane because didn't he strike out how many guys to start the year without issuing a walk? I think a lot of us thought, myself included, Corbin Burns' best version of himself was in that first month, and then it was going to be all downhill from there, even if the downhill wasn't a huge drop-off. He's become better. He's become the best version of himself over the second half of the season. That's due to Andy Haynes. There were some really interesting quotes about Andy Haynes and what he's done with some of these Brewers hitters. Also, it sounds like Andy Haynes and the Brewers have been able to help just about everybody hit well. The fact that they haven't been able to do that with Keston Hira might be a really big indictment on Keston Hira. Because everybody else is figuring it out. Jace Peterson's playing like prime Craig Council when he was a player, not a manager. Keston Hira can't even be average. That's really concerning. That's not, that's, that's not good. Although the Brewers, we might be on to bigger and better things now. Maybe we're done worrying about Keston here. We're a contender now, like I said. We only worry about contending things. I don't worry about that prospect that isn't quite panning out. I I got playoff games to worry about. We got to think about a 40-man roster. How many relievers? How many outfielders? All that kind of thing. We got other things to worry about. I want to get back into the Packers coming up after this. Talk a little bit about the NFC and why Aaron Rodgers needs to cut it out. Stop wasting time. Not just because he has a man bun and because I'm bent out of shape about it, which I'm not, and I don't care about his hair. I care about the landscape of the NFC, the division, this team, and the way things are set up for the Packers to, like, not blow it this year. Figure it out! Make a Super Bowl! I'll give you some evidence as to why they have a really good chance to do that. We're going to look at their competition, the division, the rest of the conference. We're also, like I said, going to talk with Mike Clements at 5.30. First, a word from our buddy, Zach Heilbrin. station for sports. I think it's a collective effort with everybody in this building, you know, with our personnel department, with our coaches, with our players, just having a resilient mindset and getting back at the task at hand. And I think that's one thing that you always got to turn the page and you got to focus on the next game because every game in this league is a challenge. And if you don't put everything into it each and every week, you're going to get beat. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. That is Matt LaFleur. We're joined now by Mike Clements who was in Jacksonville for the game, been reporting, doing reporting, doing the boots on the ground stuff. He joins us now on the Talk and Text line. Mike, before we start, I have a couple questions. Number one, did you happen to talk to Ebo today or listen to the Bill Michaels show when Ebo was filling in? Maybe. Why? Well, I just, I couldn't help but notice when I was listening to these cuts, I was dragged. But I'll say bullied. I was bullied on Bill's show today because I've never seen Rocky (laughs) start to finish. I just figured if that played into your music choice at all. Now, uh, now, it's my understanding that you've watched Rocky like 25 times. you spent whole weekends watching this movie Ugh. over and over and over again. Is that the story? No. So they asked if I've ever seen Rocky because Ben's from Philly. And I guess that movie, me- I-, I know that took place in Philly. I didn't think that that still held that much relevance to people like Ben who are from Philly. And I said, well, I've seen bits and pieces because was- my dad loves it. So it was always on cable. It was on in the house. So I feel like I've seen it combined. Yeah. But they couldn't yeah. believe it. I, I, and that became the entire topic of the interview. It was actually rather sad. It was, it was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. They, yeah. They set me up, man. They told me. They told me, give him the business because he hasn't seen Rocky yet. And I said, that's okay. <sighs> Still a young man. Give it a chance. Because I'll tell you, man. I was thinking about it at practice today. I was thinking, you know, 
hell, I don't know if I've been to a theater in two or three years. Last year didn't help either, you yeah. know, since they were all shut down, but I'm looking forward to it. But no, you know, Rocky's a good movie, and you'll you'll see it sometime, and then you'll understand why <laughs> all the mania for, I mean, they put out four of them or five of them. Yeah. I think, they know, said five isn't count. worth it, but I feel like if I watch four, I'm just going to go ahead and finish it off. Maybe one, one weekend this winter when nothing's going on, although there's football on now. I'm watching games, Mike. You get it. Like, you're always working. You're watching football. You're watching sports for this job. So I'll, I'll work in so, Rocky. I will. You know, Rocky Balboa was the character, and Sly was like his first big picture, and he got an Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, you know, the underdog and coming back and all that. So actually it kind of all fits in with where these guys are at, except, of course, you know, they, you know, a week ago at this time, everyone was talking about them being the Super Bowl favorites. Maybe they'll meet the Bills in the Super Bowl this year out in Los Angeles. Etc. And then you know you suffer one of the worst losses in Aaron Rodgers' uh, career as a Packer. You lose by 35. Yeah. And so you know I, I you know I'm trying to. It's been. I know it's Thursday and like why aren't we moving on to, to the Lions game? But because of the kind of the restrictions and the way things time out and that we were on the road, mm-hmm. it's not like we can go in the locker room and talk to 20 players. We talk a couple each time. So yeah. we're kind of getting caught up on that story. So first thing is first is today at practice, um, Zadaria Smith, who did play some snaps uh, in the game, he was not on the practice field. It's the back injury. That's what they say. Uh, we looked over at the defensive line, and Jerry Montgomery, the defensive line coach, not out there. He's under the COVID protocol. So you know that they had eight people, uh, you know, one player that was at Michael Thomas, and then six of their coaches, and then mm-hmm. other staffers. That uh, the Saints, when they got back to their headquarters in Dallas, had eight people test positive after leaving Jacksonville, and then you got Jerry Montgomery, defensive line coach, and now, and it's my understanding the Saints actually, when they got home and they got some of those positive tests, they immediately called the Packers just in case, you know, guys were exchanging. Uh, you know, greetings or whatever at the end of that football game. Who were you in contact with? That's nice. Uh, concerned about that. So, you know, the Packers are dealing with that now. And we all wear these, in order to get into the auditorium and be on the sidelines at practice and all that, we wear these little tracers wherever we go. So if something goes like that, they can tell you who you've been within six feet of. Sure. Um, I, we knew about Josiah DeGora, the number 81, the tight end going down. And during the TV timeout, man, he was down solid for five, six minutes. Was he and, out you know, cold? Flirt- was, he just, was he just out? Because I figured he, like, busted a leg or something. And I get, like, a concussion is serious. But was he just out cold on the field? That looked really bad. We asked LaFleur point blank. He would not go into it. Sure. That's but I'm telling you, I'm sitting there. I got the binoculars. I've, I'm looking at what the trainers are doing. He's got trainers on either side of him, and you got Lafleur looking over. And there's not any conversation. There's no motion. Yeah, I think he got knocked out. I'm just, you know, I'm, sure. and we won't know until we get a chance to talk to him sometime. The good news is, if at some point, whatever he was able to come to, he walked off very slowly with mm-hmm. assistance when he uh, walked off the field, and he was out there, though, walking around on the practice field today. He's under the protocol. And then, like, one of the last offensive plays for the Packers, the left guard, Lucas Patrick, um, he got knocked around, and uh, so he ended up, he's under the COVID protocol as well. Uh, Darnell Savage, Jr., I think it was on the interception he made, but he injured his shoulder. Mm-hmm. But today 
he's listed as limited, but I saw him out there doing, you know, the tackling practice. They're working on the fundamentals, like when they grab the donuts and do that. Good sign. So he participated in that. So that's that's a good sign that he's got a shot at Monday Night Football. Vernon Scott, who had a hamstring during uh, training camp, he was out there limited today, so he can help out at back up at safety. And Josh Myers, the center, has got some sort of a finger injury. Now, he had full participation, but they added him to the uh, to the injury list today as they get ready for Monday Night Football. Do you think is it, with the Zedaria Smith with the back? So a two-pronged question here. Is this going to be something that they're dealing with and managing all season, do you think? And they're just going to try to keep him available? And if that's the case, and like maybe I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but this is just what I'm curious about. Do you think they would handle this differently if the season was different? Like if this wasn't the all-in one final ride with this version of this team to try to win, do you think they would be handling this Zedaria Smith injury the same way? I, all I know is this. Okay. When I asked Dennis Kelly, the backup right tackle that they picked up during training camp, he started uh, at right tackle for 16 games against the Titans. And the Titans are a good football team. They're well coached. And when they brought him in, one of the first things I asked him is, that, so you guys had that, you know, that you had that game against the Packers in the snow. I said, what was what was your offensive game plan like for the Titans offense? And he said, it started with 55. Okay. Where was Darius Smith on the field? And then we built our offensive plan around that. So that's what teams do, man. They look. He is just a big dude coming off the bus, and he's and Mike Patton was moving around all over the field. And you know when you keep on saying, you know, Dean Lowry is just there, and Kingsley Kiki in his second year, and he's picking it up. But you need one more beast there on the line, and that was their answer. They they had. Zadarius Smith put his hand in the ground because he started messing up centers and cracking between uh, guards, uh, even though he's basically supposed to be played to stand up yeah. and be, you know, the Smith brothers' pass rush on either edge. So that's how important he is to the defense. And any time of the year, you know, they've built their defense, their pass rush, and their run defense around this guy. Well, that's what you hear about Leroy Butler on the 90s Packers, too. That's always the the anecdote that's brought up is team's game plan for him. Like Reggie Wright was there. Yes. But the game plan started with wherever Leroy Butler was lining up. And part of what made him great. You could line up everywhere. Is it area Smith, different position. So there's some restrictions. It's not like you can play Smith at corner, but all over that front, you can move him around and he's crucial to have him out there. And maybe it's just, you know, they're just going to manage it throughout the year. Whereas maybe they would take some sort of larger measure. If the season kind of was taking place under different circumstances, we're talking with Mike Clements, our Packers reporter for the Wisconsin Sports Network. So it seems like we have a couple of cuts here. Number one is Devontae Adams. And I tell you, Mike, I love the demeanor of Devontae Adams because he's a little intense. He seems like he's locked in. And I know that Aaron Rodgers is locked in. I'm not questioning his his drive or anything like that. But I like seeing how intense Devontae Adams is, knowing that he got blown out by 35 points or whatever it was on Sunday. He tweeted after the loss, flush and respond, exclamation point. And so, you know, one of the things we're asking him is about, you know, is this a message to your teammates? Is this just a message to the fans or to everybody? And he said everybody in an interview he did on CBS Sports Radio the other night. But the other thing is this. Um, I thought this was great insight. This was actually the best insight we've had so far this week as to how this team reacted and responded to that loss against the Saints uh, and, and, and here's what he told us what it was like right after the game Sunday night. I mean, honestly, I saw a really good practice. I saw great energy today. 
we actually this was probably one of the quicker flushes that I've seen like as far as me observing the rest of the team and, and seeing the coaches how everybody's responding from it um, you know we were on the bus already talking about it and usually when a game like that happens you get blown out everybody's got their headphones on nobody's really vibing with each other but I mean it was smiles already on the bus because it's like look like I keep saying it was just such a weird game to where it's hard to even look at it like we got completely defeated um, because things got out of hand early like that, it's just tough to, to bounce back. So I found that my teammates are definitely um, were able to shake this one better than what I've seen in the past. So we just got to make sure we actually do something about it this time so that we don't have to um, try to gauge anything or, or deal with that later. I liked you tweeted that quote, and I, th- I think you said it was Laurie Nickel who asked the question. I like that because it seems like they're excited to get to work rather than to just dejected like a team that thought one thing and now they're completely knocked off balance. No, it seems like they're excited to get back to work. I like that quote. I was excited when I read that off your tweet today. I think what these the feeling with these guys was was not like uh man, we just got blown out. We can't do this. It's kind of like this is this is like the feeling you have when you're locked out of your house. How dumb is this? <laughs> I mean, all I need is this key to get back into my house. And there's got to be a way that we can figure out how to climb through the window or do something. But that's the thing that's so interesting for me is that you got Matt LaFleur, who's, I think, proved himself as a pretty smart coach, but he got outcoached by Sean Payton, who's working on his 16th year, who, you know, was looking at Rams tape from last year to predict Joe Barry, your new defensive coordinator, that's the scheme he's running from, and so on a fourth and seven, he'll probably, in this part of the field, he'll probably be in zone, and if he's in zone, then I can have Jameis Winston in a high percentage, little dump pass, a little screen off to the right, ends up going for 12 yards. That's part of that 15-play, 80-yard drive. You know, you go up 17-3, and you keep Aaron Rodgers off the field for 10 minutes. Yeah, You limit it to 12 plays. That's getting your ass outcoached. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing that people are looking for is, well, how can you get a momentum swing? It's 17-3. to How can you swing this thing around? And... What would Tom Brady do? He'd be up and down the bench yelling at players. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, is not that guy. He Ten years ago when he won a Super Bowl, he thanked Charles Woodson because Aaron Rodgers is a, a cat. You know, he's just really smart, well-prepared, mm-hmm. tries to carry himself in a certain way. And Charles Woodson is the guy who's making the speeches about, let's take this to the White House. So Rodgers was asked today, so when's the right time for you now? at 37 and the MVP and all that, future Hall of Famer, to go to the whip and chew out your teammates like Tom Brady? No, I think it's, it's just in the moment. I mean, it's sometimes some things need to be said and other times not. I'm not trying to show up anybody ever. There's moments where the competitive fire comes out and needs to, and there's moments when nothing needs to be said or a private conversation. Uh, so it just it's a feel. I mean, true leadership is authentic in nature, and it's a feel – on when to use your voice to say what's necessary. Um, you know, there were moments where I said things to certain guys, but uh, there wasn't a lot to be said. Uh, I don't want to be demonstrative or anything. You know, I think it's a, it, it's, you know, it's it's authentic to who you are, and and also understanding what guys need in those specific times. So you spent a lot of time, the last four or five years, in the off season, to work on yourself dealing with pressure and traveling abroad. And then I remember when Charles was here, because it reminded me when he came to visit, uh, we appreciate that as a vocal leader. But you know, we heard that 
you did become a local leader last year too. So, I mean, where do you take that from here now? Well, I mean, it's it's time and a place. Like it, it's when it's necessary to say things that I feel like can inspire or change the energetic direction of the team, then I need to say something. Um, sometimes, as I've said, there is a lot of wisdom in silence. Uh, there's also, you know, some great uh, ways of leading that empower people. And sometimes empowerment is taking a step aside and allowing someone else who has a message for that particular moment to say that message. Um, but I think it all comes down to being very present in those moments and trying to understand what your team needs in certain situations what the coaching staff needs, because I'm one of the older guys. I'm close in age to some of those guys than some of our youngest players. So just having a good a good feel for what the staff needs from me, uh, words-wise, energy-wise, and then what the, what the team does as well. I get that, Mike. I get empowering those around you, and I get that Rodgers isn't that guy. But maybe next time the Packers lose by 30 on the road, could Rodgers work a little bit harder at empowering somebody to maybe, like you said, go to the whip and fire guys up? Because it never really seems to happen. No, and it's like I was hoping Zadarius would be that guy, but hell, he didn't even get reelected captain. Yeah, you know, and and there that fiery guy, I don't know where he is on this team anymore. I I, I just don't know. They're all more like like Aaron or like Mercedes or these wise sage guys. And I'll tell you what, man, there's there's Rogers, there's Devonte, there's Mercedes. Uh, Preston and these guys are more like cats, you know. They're they're yeah. they're they're more cool dudes and all that. And and then there's a whole other section of this team. And you know what they are? They're the Jordan Love generation. Yeah, they're just all waiting for these dudes to move on so they can get paid, so they can get the starts. And they're looking. They're waiting for that day to come a year from now, two years from now, and they're just waiting to get more snaps in practice. And more snaps in the games, and they're just waiting for these dudes to move on. That's I. That's a def, there's a generation divide in that locker room right now. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And now, if I was Ebo, I would say, well, the generation that's younger is soft and they're entitled and they're just waiting for you know a handout. But I I won't go there. This is a more <laughs> this is a more woke show uh, than maybe some of the some of the other ones on our network, Mike. <laughs> so another guy to talk to is a veteran, Billy Turner, and so it's like third quarter. And, you know, you just can't seem to, you know, get a drive going, whether it's a turnover or a penalty or something. And I said to him, so how frustrating is this? You know, you're on the sideline. You're talking to Adam Stenovich, your offensive line coach. You're talking to your, your teammates. They're trying to give you information from what they see up top. And I said, you know, did the Saints defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, who's one of the better in the business, did they give you guys like a bunch of unscouted looks Sunday? No. Um, you know, every time you go into a football game, you hope that based off of your game plan and scouting and whatnot that you're going to be facing everything that you practiced that week. But the reality of it is, is every single NFL game, there's always unscouted looks. And that's when you have to rely on not only your technique, but you have to rely on your plays. You have to rely on exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing so that when you do get into situations like that, you're able to continue to play at a high level and you're able to react even though it's an unscouted look that you maybe didn't go through that week in practice. So, you know, we, we do a good job as a team of giving a lot of unscouted looks, but at the end of the day, 
every NFL game is different. You don't have somebody that is thinking like another person and that other person being someone that's on the other team, the D coordinator, et cetera. So you're not ever going to really be perfect. You might guess right on some stuff, but especially the first game of the year, if you're looking at tape from last year, et cetera, it's kind of hard to base stuff off of some preseason games. But again, sometimes your unscouted looks are going to be exactly what your game plan that Sunday is going to have to be run by. So tell me if I'm speaking out of pocket here. Mike Clements, our insider, he was in Jacksonville this weekend. When Aaron Rodgers went to the podium after the game, he was like, oh, we were surprised. They didn't really rush the passer. They kind of set back in too high and they forced us to go underneath. Do I have this wrong? Or isn't that what the new modern NFL defense is? That's what Fangio's been running. That's what Staley did in LA. And the Packers were amazing at in that division round game. They went boom, 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 like surgeons down the field, dink and dunk. And then they hit shots here and there. I guess I'm a little perplexed as to why they were surprised by this defense because this is the direction the NFL's heading, right? So was I because when Tony Dungy ran this kind of cover two, you stand there quarterback, mm-hmm. you look and you see this real estate open over the middle, you see the two deep safeties, and basically as you're a wide receiver, you see a guy covering you and then a guy behind him, and you're trying to figure out how am I going to get around these guys in two seconds. So as the quarterback... You know, you bring in Donald Driver if you're Favre, and he takes a slant. And you start chipping away with slants over the middle or play action up the middle to Amon Green, and the same thing. And I don't understand why these guys could not figure out a way on how to get some kind of running game going up the middle. I guess the most successful they had was A.J. Dillon, but then they got away from that, and then it's third down and they can't convert. They're 0-7, 0-8 for third downs, and... And that kind of thing breaks down. On the other side, and the other side for the coin is this, is for defense, my God, when your offense can't convert third down, the defense was out there for 70% of the game in 100-degree heat. So even though, you know, Jameis Winston and company are getting these chunk plays of 9 and 12 and 14 yards, so I go to Chris Barnes, the inside linebacker, and I know, I, I mean, Mike Pettin seemed to be a guy who was very smart, but maybe very dry meetings. Okay. And they wanted what they've got on the offensive side with Nathaniel Hackett, guys that can pick up the energy. So I asked Chris Barnes, you know, although maybe he still believes in the Joe Barry scheme after one game, was he shocked how bad the game plan went against the Saints? I don't think anybody was really expecting, you know, the game to go out that way and, and have the outcome. But um, like I said, man, you know, there's things in this league that um, other teams, will, they're a great team, and they capitalize on our mistakes. So um, they did they did that to the fullest. And, you know, that's something that we, you know, we got to come in and just watch the film, continue to, you know, fix our mistakes, move forward, but we can't dwell on it. You know, the minute we dwell on it, it will, you know, it, it could – you know, mess us up in the long run. So I'm excited to see what this team does. We have a great spirit. We came in, you know, today ready to work. Um, you know, guys were, you know, motivated to keep going. So I'm definitely excited to see where it goes. It is just, game, it is just you know, the first game. Um, so there's a lot more games ahead of us. Um, this, this one doesn't define us, so it's all about how we bounce back. That's probably the right answer. I probably was hoping for him to not say, well, you know, I never really believed in the game plan in the first place. So honestly, I... I wasn't that shocked by the way that it went. Yeah, I feel like that's the answer he probably has to All have. these guys on defense, they call him Joe B. They love him. They yeah. think he's a good guy. He communicates. They think that he's got their back. But we're going to find out if this guy can actually give them a This guy can give them the right game plan so they don't get boxed in like they did on Sunday down in Jacksonville. Well, and the offense gave him no help, and I that's why I have a huge issue really ripping Joe Barry and that defense to shreds because I don't know if that's a fair game to evaluate really anything. I think the way Rodgers played, 
it's tough to evaluate the line, the receivers, the defense. It's it's almost like this week is week one, and we're starting again, and we'll get a fresh look this week, and hopefully we'll have some more to go on. And, Mike, when that happens, we will talk to you next week. You're going to be in Green Bay. At least you don't have to go to Jacksonville this weekend. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> Thanks again for and, your time. You know what? Yeah. And it's going to be exciting. That was an exciting game between the Rams and the Ravens. Yes. And I hope that they can light it up, you know, on Monday night here at Lambeau. The trucks are already here, and, you know, and it'll be a packed stadium, and it should look like a real football game against the Lions. I'm amped, Mike. Thanks for your time. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Grant. Mike Clements, our Green and Gold Insider, along the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Let's take a break. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. <laughs> 